Welcome to Life in the Pit, a podcast about the lives and adventures of instrumentalists within the wonderful world of musical theater. And now, here is your host, David Lane. And hello, everybody. It's hard to believe, but this is episode 20. We are in October now, and um, I can only speak for myself, but where I live, it is gorgeous. It is um, definitely fall weather. And I uh, hope wherever you live and wherever you're listening, you're, if you're not experiencing it right now, you'll be experiencing it soon. But um, this also makes three months that this podcast has been available. And I just thank each and every one of you for taking the time to listen, take, taking the time to share, rate, or review. All of that means so much. And uh, not a week goes by that I don't get a message or a comment from somebody who says how much that this podcast means to them or means to people like them who are working in the industry. So thank you so much for that. Well, undoubtedly, this is going to be one of the shorter episodes. The interview is a little bit on the short side compared to some of the others that I've done before. And I don't have a whole lot to say before or after it. So I'm going to go ahead and get right to it. This is the third of a trilogy that I've done of people who play certain woodwinds. Um, As I mentioned in previous episodes, and I've had some guests on who do this, a lot of times in theater, uh, there's a reads book. And uh, who knows what will be in the book. It might be, you know, just flute and clarinet, or uh, flute, clarinet, and saxophone, or you may have double reads and so forth. But there are some shows where there's a read book for each type of player, uh, a book for flutes a book for the single reads, clarinet and saxophone, and a book for the double reads. And uh, sometimes it's divided up to the point where I've seen four or five read books for a show. In episode 18, we talked uh, to someone who plays flutes. That was Dr. Tika Douthat. And uh, last episode, episode 19, I talked to Kania Mills about playing clarinet and saxophone. And today I'm going to be talking to Matthew Covington about playing the oboes. And um, it was kind of revealing as I got into the interview, I realized, well, he actually doesn't just play the oboes, but he does play the multiple read books. But as he mentions in the interview, he, he hasn't really marketed himself towards that. So what he's been doing over the years are the double read books. Um, so it still suits the purpose of this trilogy. We are going to be talking about the oboes um, and as well as Matthew's unorthodox path to becoming a professional musician. Um, as I mentioned, he's, he's been to college, but he hasn't finished college. He doesn't teach anywhere. Uh, he is a freelance performing musician, and he plays for several orchestra as oboe and or English horn, and that would be for orchestras such as the Carolina Philharmonic, the Greensboro Symphony Orchestra, and the Fayetteville Symphony Orchestra. So without further delay, here's my conversation with Matthew Covington. Matthew, thank you for joining me today. Uh, Happy to be here. What's uh, been going on during the pandemic? How are you keeping yourself busy? Um, well, I've decided to experiment with reed making a little bit. So as oboist, we have to make all of our own reeds. Um, and I've just been using the same setup for the last 10 years, mm-hmm. at least. Um, and so I have some friends that have different shaper tips which has to do with the angle of the reed how how flared it is or how straight it and narrow it is so i've borrowed some of those and just been 
trying out some new things to see right. what what might work a little bit better because usually you have to have something that works all the time and without gigs right now i don't have to have that awesome. so if i make something and it doesn't work it doesn't matter nice so it's it sounds like it's a good chance to you know sharpen your craft your tools which should bode well when it's time to actually play again it's something that you'll a skill you'll have a little bit sharper right i'm, I'm hoping yeah I, I think oboe players or i should just say double reed players more than maybe anybody else i can think of they they can't just be musicians they also have to be technicians <laughs> you have to have a little bit yeah, of craftsmanship yeah i mean i'm sure i'm sure you can go out and buy oboe reads but uh but no no self-respecting oboes that i know does that they they tend to all make them and they tend to all have their own technique i was talking to uh ron ford earlier and he was he said that uh i don't know if, if that's what his ultimate dissertation was on uh but he he wanted to do about talk about john ellis and apparently john ellis had a pretty unique Read making technique or something like that. It was, I he would... did. If I remember right, he had really tiny hearts, which mm. is the thickest part of the reed. Wow, nice. Well, let's uh, so let's let's talk into that. Uh, was oboe the first instrument you played, or did you have a different way of getting into music? Oh, it's this will be the longest part. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> it was. It's quite a saga. So I I grew up um, as a member of the Moravian Church. And they have a pretty rich musical background. But at the church I went to, we had, for a volunteer choir, very good. And usually about once a year, we hired a a small orchestra that came in and played. Mm -hmm. Um, And we had a little youth choir, and it was just seven of us. And I guess we were pretty good because we started singing some fairly hard stuff at a young age. Um, We were singing like um, the P.A. Yezu from Foray's Requiem when we were all nine or ten right i grew up singing i did a little bit of piano um my mom tried to teach me some piano and i think taking lessons from your parents is not a good idea (laughs) right (laughs) it it does not go well yeah um but so sixth grade rolled around and you get to choose an instrument for a band and i chose the trumpet Mm. it was a bad idea (laughs) i i was fine but i did not like it at all Mm. uh so Sometime later that year, maybe in the seventh grade, uh, mom had told me that she played clarinet in high school band. So I dug her old clarinet out of a closet and started playing it and was like, oh, yeah, this is a lot of fun. I kind of like this one. And from there, I just kept trying different instruments. Um, So since she's a violinist, I would I, I tried playing her violin some and. I'm a terrible string player. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, let's see. So she also had a flute, and I played that, and I really enjoyed that. Um, and then any time I could get my hands on a friend's instrument, mm-hmm. I would play. And so I had a friend that was playing oboe. She let me borrow it one weekend. So I like you know, snuck out of the school with her oboe. Yeah. To, to I'm take sorry, it how home. old were you when you got to this point? Um, so I'm in seventh grade. Okay. And... That weekend, I was just like, oh, my gosh, this was so fun. I loved playing this thing. Um, so I told my band director, I was like, I really want to play the oboe. And he went, no, you're our first trumpet player. 
you, you can't switch. You can't play the oboe. And I was like, well, fine. I'll just play everything else on the side and play trumpet in band. So let's see. I made it to probably eighth or ninth grade, and I was I would like to go to rehearsals with mom. So specifically down in Salisbury, mm-hmm. I went down with her, and she introduced me to Barbara Troutwine, who's the English horn player down there. Mm-hmm. But got to plop down on the floor next to her. Uh, she let me play her English horn, which was the first time I ever got to play that instrument. And they were doing uh, Death and Transfiguration by Strauss and Schaikfor. So a very, a good oboe. Right. <laughs> program. Uh, and there's a little five note solo in Death and Transfiguration. And Ashley Barrett, was principal down there at the time. And I heard her play it and I went, that's what I want to do. I want to play like that. Mm-hmm. And I want to play the oboe. Cause then I was still a little bit wishy-washy on what instrument I really wanted to play. Right. Um, and so from there on, it was just a big fight with band directors um, up through the 11th grade on letting me play mm-hmm. the oboe every year at the beginning of the year. I was like, I want to play the oboe. Please let me switch. And they said no. (laughs) So in the 10th grade, I auditioned for the Winston-Salem Youth Symphony on oboe, got co-principal, and my band director still wouldn't let me switch. So the next year, I finally went, you let me switch to the oboe, or I'm leaving this school. (laughs) I will go somewhere (laughs) else. And they let me switch, finally. Hmm. So quite a long journey to finally get to your principal instrument. It was. Yeah. And then you carried that through college, right? I did. Um, and I never graduated from college. I went for a few years, um, mm-hmm. felt a little burned out, went, I'll take a semester off. And now, seven, eight years later, <laughs> I'm still taking that semester off. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a long semester. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm fully, you know, I think that college is very valuable, but it's not universally valuable to everybody. Everyone's got to kind of figure out, you know, what's their best way to get there. You know, I think, I think it's kind of funny, you know, especially as a composer, a lot of the composers that we revere throughout history, like Bach and Beethoven and Mozart, for example, they don't have any degrees. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, they just... Uh, they they studied with one person, maybe you know uh, a different person, you know, over the course of their lives, maybe one or two people, and and then like got a hold of scores and copied them out. <laughs> that was their education. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So what are um, <clears throat> the one thing I f- I find fascinating about the Woodwind family in particular is that I don't meet too many people that play one single instrument. I mean. Uh, like the oboe is quite different than the flute or the saxophones, but we'll talk mm-hmm. about that in a moment. But if you play the oboe, you usually, like you just said, you, you've played the English horn. There's a lot of other instruments within that family, within the double reeds. What are some of the others that you picked up along the way? Yeah, so I've got, I've played bass oboe twice on the planets. Oh, okay. Which is, it's an octave lower than the oboe, and I have to sit on a stool when I play it. Otherwise, the instrument just hits the floor right and the sound can't go anywhere um and then i've played uh musette or piccolo oboe just a few times they're kind of novelty instruments right and then there's an instrument called the oboe de more right which bach used Mm -hmm. fairly often and i'm really it's unfortunate that it fell out of fashion because it has that mellow timbre of the english horn 
but is only a third lower than the oboe. So you've still got a pretty high range on it. Right. Yeah. A few times I've heard the oboe de more. It's uh, yeah, it's a really lovely sound. It would be nice to have more of that. I always wonder about like when people like Holst, when they write <clears throat> something for bass oboe, did they know somebody who played bass oboe? <laughs> uh, it's like, I know. It's like, um, yeah, yeah. there are instruments I like to write for, but I'm like, who's going to play it? Who owns those instruments? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> where are they going to get it if they don't have it? So, um, well, in the U.S., I think there are only maybe ten right. bass oboes, so you have to rent them. <laughs> right. Um, so we talked about music. Let's talk about theater. When did you get started? Do you remember what your first show is and how old you were? I do. So you had um, a a friend of ours who I'm sure you have interviewed or will, Ron Ford, um, was doing Beauty and the Beast at the Little Theater in Winston. Mm -hmm. Uh, This was in 2006, so I was 16, and he asked me to sub for him in two shows. Right. And so I I hated driving. Mm. So my mom drove me down there to play the first show. And dropped me off. I played the show. And then for the second show, um, I had friends that were going. So they took me down. <laughs> right. <laughs> to play it. So it's funny. Beauty and the Beast was your first show. And then we played Beauty and the Beast together. So so I've, I've played Beauty and the Beast three times. Nice. So the, you're part of a trilogy of uh, guests that I'm interviewing. It'll be three in a row. I'm not sure what order. But I'm, I'm interviewing someone who primarily plays flute someone who primarily plays the clarinet family and someone who primarily plays double reeds. Um, but like I said, I, I, I know that, you know, you've tried other instruments and you're not limited to, to those. Are there, um, well, let's, let's, let me ask this in a different way. When I, when I think about who I'm going to hire for a show, um, as far as like multiple woodwind books, read books, um, you're not currently top to mind, but you're, you're high on the list when I think of, uh, you know, a double read book. But is that a mistake on my part? Do you play other woodwinds as well? I do. I do it pretty regularly. Um, okay. And a lot of the time, one of the, I get offered these jobs and I can't take them because I already have something. Right. Um, right. That's how it goes. But, but I do. I play the saxophones, clarinet, flute. Every so often for bass clarinet, I have to borrow somebody's. Right. But I play all the woodwinds. Right, right. Uh, I mean, just kind of thinking locally, I don't know how many opportunities there are to be an oboe or a double reed specialist in theater. Do you do you find many opportunities just for that? Interestingly, I think most of the shows I've played have been just oboe English horn books. Right. Or it'll be oboe English horn, and then for whatever reason, one number has clarinet right. on it. Right. <laughs> I don't think I market myself very well as a woodwind doubler. Right. Because I do primarily just play oboe and English horn. All right. Well, maybe after people hear this, they'll, they'll know, and <laughs> you'll be more on the top of the list for, you know, maybe so. read books. Yeah. But yeah. Um, but I just think, cause a lot of times if there's a double read book, uh, you, that means you're probably getting the single read and, and um, you know, you're also getting the clarinet book and, you know, you're trying to get a balance of that. And I'm just thinking you know, around here, the, there's not a lot of production companies with that budget. Um, you know, High Point, you know, they get away with it because they do uh, four shows a year, you know, and so they, they're able to put a lot of money into per production as far as the mm-hmm. community theaters. And, of course, you've got 
you know, some of your universities around here, like North Carolina School of the Arts, UNCG, and, you know, um, actually Elon, you know, they, they put you know, some opportunities there as well. And uh, some of your high schools, you know, actually, right. you know, they, they have a, a nice budget for that. Uh, so what are the, some of the other gigs that you have as an oboist when you're not doing theater? So I have positions in four different um, orchestras in the area mm-hmm. in North Carolina and then sub in several more. So I stay plenty busy. Right. What are your which orchestras are the regular ones? Uh, so I play in the Greensboro Symphony, mm-hmm. uh, the Carolina Philharmonic, uh, Piedmont Wind Symphony and the Fayetteville Symphony. OK. And um, so you mentioned your mom earlier talking about violin and uh, and, and all that. She also uh, I met her. Well, my wife played with her for for a while, I think, in either Little Symphony or well, probably Little Symphony. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't think your mom was really active in Salem community when my wife got started, but maybe I mean, she might have come in to like fill out right before a concert. But, uh, I think she came in some, and oddly enough, I came in and played in that group too. Right. And ended up playing principal cello somehow. I was also the only cello. That right. is why I was principal. Right. Um, and I actually think I borrowed your wife's cello to do oh, yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. And she since has sold that cello, so that I have no idea where that cello is now. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so she has to borrow cello whenever she, she plays uh, now. But uh, uh, when I when I finally met your mom, it was uh, because I'm a composer and she was a publisher and she... Uh, she had a publishing business for a while, Alcove Music, and um, and and I know that she did um, a lot of arranging. She did a lot of um, you know wedding books and you know other compilations that sold pretty well, and uh, did some arranging herself. And I imagine that that's had uh, an influence on you in that regard. I know that you've done quite a bit of arranging yourself. We played a wedding. Speaking of Beauty and the Beast, <laughs> we played a wedding. Uh, I want to. I would say it had to be back in 2016, maybe at Wake Chapel. I think Chapel. so. Yeah. Yeah. I played and I played with. It was a trio of me, you, and your mom. Um, so violin. I guess it was and a violin oboe. Alex Johnson was playing cello. Oh, that's right. It was a quartet. Okay. Yeah, and I remember. Um, yeah, you you arranged the song Beauty and the Beast, and you also, which just was a delight for me, you arranged uh, Gabriel's oboe from the mission. So uh, they requested it. So yeah, <laughs> I went for it. Yeah. I told I told Ron when we interviewed, the first time I heard an oboe was in seventh grade beginning band, and it was people starting off with oboe with no prior musical experience whatsoever, and it was about five of them playing in unison. And the first time I heard oboe was just the worst sound I'd ever heard from a musical <laughs> instrument. And, and then after that, I moved to a small school, and they didn't have anybody playing double reeds so i never heard an oboe player again till i got uh well till i got to college never heard it live but before then in high school i heard the mission soundtrack and i heard gabriel's oboe and that was the first time that i realized what it was supposed to sound like (laughs) so yeah so yeah it's a very fond memory um yeah so we'll talk about uh you know, you, you've gotten into arranging along the years. Has that been to the, due to the influence of your mom and, uh, do you enjoy arranging? I really love arranging. Uh, so last year uh, for my own wedding, I had a double read quintet play mm-hmm. and I arranged all the music for that. Right. Um, and I also, 
I, I arrange things all the time for little various ensembles and go, no one's ever going to play this. Right. And I don't really care. And I just do it anyway. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, it's a double worried quintet. I'm just going to take a guess. Two, two oboes, English horn and two bassoons or. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I guess really it could be anything. Right. Right. I was just kind of going with it. Like uh, I was just taking the brass quintet equivalent, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? Um, I mean, of course you could have a tuba instead of two trombones, but uh, you know, it's, It'd be, it'd be kind of fun to have like a contrabassoon <laughs> in, in one of those. It yeah. could be. And I think yeah. you could do like an oboe de more instead of one of the oboes. Right, right. Yeah, uh, but I'm with you as far as like writing things just for, uh, just to be different just because you want to. I uh, Early 2000s, I, I decided to do what a lot of composers take up, and that's the 24 preludes, you know, so well, one prelude mm-hmm. in every key. Um, but well, I started it in college and I, I, I wrote four of them for violin and viola. And then I wrote three of them for clarinet marimba. And both of those made it onto my, uh, senior recital. But, uh, then after I graduated, uh, grad school, I, I looked at my list. I said, well, I have seven of the 24 keys. So I picked a few things that were pretty standard. Like there's an alto saxophone duet for three of them. But then four of them I did oboe, euphonium, and vibraphone, and I've never heard oh. it live. <laughs> I don't know if it would work, but it, it sounds good on finale. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it's funny. I actually, the three preludes for two alto saxophones, a friend and I actually played in high school on tenor saxophone. Right. Okay. I think we did the second movement. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. I, I did publish that with it, with your mom for a while, I think. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And actually, just the other day, I, found, I came across a composition of yours, uh, The Valley of Unrest. Oh. Based on the Edgar Allan Poe poem. Yes. I, I would love to. Oh. I have a recording of that. I'd love to hear it performed again. It's, um, uh, yeah, I, I knew a bass clarinetist in college, and, and I just, I read the poem, and I was like, I could hear the bass clarinetist. I read the poem, so... Mm-hmm. <laughs> And uh, and it's I think it's very easy to sing. The person I wrote it for has a very mezzo, mezzo soprano voice. Well, so, and I was yeah. going to say, as a counter tenor, it yeah. gets a little bit up there at the the very right. top end of my range. So the E flats in there are a little bit screamy, and then you get down to the the C flat and B flat, and it's like, oh, I really need to stay in falsetto and not go into the chest voice. Right. Um. I know we talked about you playing in an orchestra. Did we talk about chamber ensembles? Like what are, uh, I know you, when you were in college, you were part of a woodwind quintet for a while. And uh, are there other chamber ensembles you've been a part of? Unfortunately, not really. It's Mm. hard to get a group together that, that can stay together and rehearse regularly. Right. A lot of the time. Um, which is a real shame because I, when I get to do chamber music, it's always so much fun to do. Right. And, I, f- I feel like most musicians would agree with you. I, I, I think maybe part of it is sometimes the audience has to warm up to the idea. You know, there's there's always this thought, and, and I'm as guilty as any other audience member. It's like I've always gravitated toward the big orchestral things. But when you go live in concert, when you sit in a room, like an actual chamber, <laughs> you know, not just mm-hmm. a concert hall, and hear a small ensemble play, uh, but especially if you're the musician playing it, it's just uh, an intimacy that uh, that you can't um, really com- compare to an orchestra. And I think that that's part of the appeal of the theater pit. 
is that it's like a medium to large chamber ensemble. <laughs> it really is, because especially since the conductor so often is having to play too and isn't just conducting, right. they're really a part of the chamber ensemble right. as well. Right. And, and like I said, I mean, you're, you're going to be playing oboe, but you know, you're probably one of three in an orchestra concert, you know, at least two. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, when you're in the theater pit, you're probably the only one. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and if there's a multiple reads book, you know, you, you're probably two of you at most. So it, it really, it's like you have a bunch of solos throughout and, and it's, and it's just a lot of choreography involved because you have to switch instruments. There really is. And even reed making for pit orchestra versus orchestra, orchestral playing is very different. So oh. for, for pit playing, you have to, have what I call a lick and go read because mm. you'll be sitting there playing English horn and then have to put it down, pick up the oboe and play a big solo. And it's been sitting there for 15 minutes. Mm. And if the reed isn't wet, no sound's going to come out. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be able to just get a little bit of saliva on there and play and right. make it work. Whereas in orchestra, you've got your water, you can dip it mm -hmm. if you need to and pick it up and start playing again. Right. <laughs> um, so if you play a double read book, I just on average, I mean, how many instruments would you have to have? Like, let's just take Beauty and the Beast. Is that, uh, is that oboe only or do you have other instruments you, you have to switch back and forth uh, from? Oboe and English horn, okay. I believe is all that one is. Okay. Um, and I, I also find that usually they don't make an, an oboe, English horn and bassoon book. Right. Or anything. Right. Yeah, that's true. You have a clef change, and there's kind of this well, assumption that people only read one clef. But <laughs> I know clefs because I've been reading music for so long. Clefs don't bother me too much. Right. Um, in alto clef, I probably have to work a little bit more, but it's doable. Right. So, what is a? You don't have to name any shows or theaters, but what's a horror story from your time in the pits? So, luckily, none of my horror stories are too bad. Right. Uh, so. <laughs> I'll give two. Uh, so one was actually in the Beauty and the Beast that I did with you, and it was kind of just a personal horror. Yeah. So since I have type 1 diabetes, um, it, and my blood sugar was going a little bit low right after the second act started. And I keep a little tubes of cake icing in my case, just mm. in case, because I can't get up and go, we need to take 15 while I have a little bit of juice, and we just relax. You know. Right. So I'm sitting there trying to count and play and eat this cake icing. <laughs> Just wow. So I'm like, you didn't notice anything. Then I did a good job of covering it up. Right. I, I didn't notice. So yeah, but uh, you, yeah, wow, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty good. Uh, what was your other thing? So I can, I think the show was the Adams family. Uh, we got to the first rehearsal with people on stage, uh, played the overture, and then sat there for about 15 minutes and the director went, all right, well, let's run a few spots while they get all their stuff together. We ran a few things. We sit there. We sit there and he's like, you know, I, I don't really feel like we need to rehearse anything else, just us. We really need them now to do anything. We sat there for another hour mm -hmm. and just did nothing. And he finally went, you guys go home. Wow. This is 
just ridiculous. Mm. And he said then about another hour after that, they were finally ready for us. And he went, so I just, I played it on piano and it was fine. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Hmm. What are, uh, what's a fond memory of a show that you have? They're really all kind of fond. I, mm-hmm. Every time I play a show, there's something fun about it. Right. Um, I remember playing The Secret Garden a few years ago and at a high school of all places. Mm-hmm. And I am not, especially when I'm playing, emotions don't bother me too much because you have, really have to stay focused and professional. But these kids were just singing their hearts out, and I got kind, kind of emotional and start, started crying a little bit. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And, and you kind of made a point there. It's like there are a lot of fond memories. I, I feel like there are a lot of memories that I have that if you ask me how I feel at the time, I'm going to say, uh, this isn't good. I, I mean, I mean, there have even been some shows where, you know, I, I've said to the nearest person nearby, uh, I'm walking out of here on strike and I'm never doing another show again. <laughs> I won't say mm-hmm. yep. which show that was, uh, but, but I have actually said that, uh, during a production and then give me, Oh gosh, even not even, I don't even have to finish the show. It's like in some point in the middle of the run, I'm like, something happens. This is fun for that show. It was just like the pit was kind of also being shared by actors as kind of a little, you know, cha- place to change props and things. And, and, and one of them had some time and just started admiring the band, you know, it's like they, 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 they were, you know, like basically our audience because we were in a place that, you know, the, the real audience couldn't see. And it's like, as soon as I saw that, I was like, okay, all right, this is, this is a good show. And, you know, 24 hours after strike, it's like, when's the next one? You know? So that's the, there are very few musical theater memories that, that I that I could say are bad to the point where I don't want to even talk about it or relive it. There's very yeah. few of those. Um, are there any other special projects that are going on right now that you'd like to talk about? Um, well, I have five brand new oboes coming to my house tomorrow, so I might be buying a new oboe. We'll okay. see. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, I, I know I'm going to ask you like where people can follow you. Do you do you have like do you do any videos on YouTube any uh, any channels any place where people can watch um, on my Instagram I have some videos I recorded all forty of the the famous for us anyway uh, Barrett etudes um, and they're they're little duets and the bottom line's usually done by bassoon it's in bass clef but I just played it on the oboe um, I think that's the only thing right what's what's your handle on Instagram. It is M-A-T-T-Y-L, Maddie underscore Coco. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for taking some time and just uh, sharing your stories. It was good to talk to you. Great to talk to you, too. And that completes this episode as well as this trilogy focusing on specific woodwind players. Next week's episode is going to be a treat, especially for all my listeners who are either music students or musicians who would like to play higher profile gigs. I'm talking to someone who hires musicians to supplement Broadway national tours at a certain venue. Um, I've already recorded that, that interview and it is a wealth of information and also some fascinating stories. 
So you'll definitely want to be sure to check that out on episode 21 as early as next Friday, October 9th. As a reminder, if you want to follow what's coming up next, be sure to follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Life in the Pit Pod. You can follow me on Instagram at David Lane Music or Twitter and Facebook at David M. Lane Music. And as always, a special thanks to Mark Parolo for his cover art and to Bill Cisna for providing the introduction to this podcast. All original music is composed and performed by David Lane. You can find out more about this podcast or leave me a message at davidlanemusic.com slash podcast. Please rate and review on the Apple Podcast app and please share with your friends. Thank you for listening.